Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. If you brought a Bible this morning, open it up to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're going to try to cover about six different verses Uh, But I want to walk you down a systematic unfolding to what I believe Pastor James had in mind so that we could catch a realistic, kind of a real-time, a relevant understanding about what the Holy Spirit's looking for and how far He's willing to go to be able to share this very personal, this very loving, this very intimate exchange with you, how far He's willing to go in order to be able to uh, cultivate that in each of our lives. So we're going to do this. We're going to, uh, we're going to kind of break protocols when it comes to Bible, good systematic theology. And we're going to jump to verse number five, and we're going to read a little bit of that. And then we're going to back up and we'll build some context. I said that because uh, David introduced a bunch of Bible scholars here, and I don't want them to think in the Carolinas we ignore all that stuff. We understand that. So James chapter four, verse five. This is the New King James Version Bible. Here's what it says. Or do you think that the scriptures says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? Have you ever felt jealous before? I'm not talking about the bad kind of jealousy that's rooted in selfishness and, you know, it produces covetousness and and greediness and all of that other stuff. I'm talking about the the healthy jealousy, the kind of jealousy that comes from a relationship or from an appropriate affection you have for someone or for something. I I know I've experienced it several times that as I'm just kind of opening my mind, it it jumps out really quick with me. Uh, One that comes really quick is when I was just dating Debbie, and I noticed right about the time that I was really starting to feel connected and feel close to her, so were a few other guys in the church. So I would make sure I got there early. And I could make sure to connect with her first. And if I happened to walk in and somebody else was connecting to her, I was cordial about it, but I'd kind of, you know, hang around. And when the conversation allowed, I'd step in, hey, what you guys talking about? And then pretty soon, you know, he's on my backside and I'm between him and Debbie and we're just talking. And and there was a healthy jealousy that was going on there. I remember a different kind of jealousy after Debbie and I were married and we had our first little one. And I had no idea how much time and affection that little guy was going to take. And I found myself as a husband being a little jealous sometimes. It's like, you know, you always have time for him. You keep, you get up in the middle of the night for him, but you're too tired for me. Of course, that wasn't super appropriate, and the Lord had to help me with that, and, and I had to go through it two more times with that. I also remember that as my kids got older, our, our youngest is 22 now, and uh, we have a 22, a 28, and a, 30, a 30-year-old. And I remember that as each of them hit that stage, somewhere around the teenage years, when all of a sudden, Dad wasn't the hero anymore. And I remember what that felt like when, you know, little, uh, some guy or one of their friends would come to the door and, or call on the phone, hey, can you go so-and-so? And I'm ready to tell them, no, they're not able to because we've already planned. We're going to watch a movie. And before I could even think about it, they said, absolutely, I'm there. And I'd be like, whoa, 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 what happened just now? 
I was replaced. I, I remember what that felt like. I remember what it felt like when Brandon got married, moved out of his house, and I realized that he's in his own family now. And the relationships change, and I could feel a little bit of jealousy there, that I was protective of, of that relationship that we had. I want to tell you about my latest one, though, and this is an ongoing battle that I have. In fact, I didn't think that you'd believe it or it would, it would land good enough, so I'm just going to show you a picture about what I'm jealous about now. <laughs> this is our 105-pound Victorian bulldog named Ace, and he loves my wife, Debbie. Like more than anybody else in the house, Ace won't even, if I'm in the house by myself, he won't even come out of his crate. He just lays in there. There's nothing that interests him. But boy, Debbie pulls up in the driveway and he starts barking and wagging that little nub of a tail and he's jumping all over. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced. I've witnessed it. I pointed it out to my daughters. That dog gets way more snacks than I ever get. He gets more affection. He gets more cuddles. Everybody in the house will come home, and they will say, Oh, Ace, Ace, you doing okay? Do you got water? You got something to drink? You need something to eat? And meanwhile, I'm sitting on the couch like, Hey, I'm in the room. I'm here. But Ace has got affection. He, he's got all of their attention, and, and there's a little bit of a, of a jealousy there. But how many of you know Pastor James is trying to get across to us this morning? We've got a Holy Spirit that gets jealous. Now listen, that's not new information if you scan through your Bible because the Old Testament tells us over a dozen times that the God that we serve is a jealous God, and I'm talking capital J. I mean big time jealous God. Not in an unhealthy way, but he's so passionate and he's so protective over the loving relationship and the intimacy he has with you and I that the Bible says he gets jealous. And here, James comes and tells us, and you need to understand this relationship that you have or you're just getting started with the Holy Spirit. There, there's an affection that is so gripping, that is so powerful, that is so intimate on the Holy Spirit side that he actually gets jealous. Now, it's important for people to understand, even Christians, even if you've been serving the Lord all your life, because somehow we tend to think that God tolerates us. We tend to think that the Holy Spirit, you know, He's kind of there watching the mechanisms or watching the formulas or watching the machine. And if we do all the right stuff, then, you know, He's obligated to make sure that, that the good stuff happens. But we don't really stop and understand there's a lot of heart. There's a lot of affection there's a lot of love and thoughts and, and dreams that goes into this from the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he gets jealous. So when we hear that, it would really be important that we stop and say, well, then what is the Holy Spirit jealous about? What, what is that? What, what is he so yearning to have in my life that at times I may not meet him there that causes him that jealousy? What does that look like? And for that, we'll back up to verse number four. Verse number four. Now, from this point forward, we're just going to stair-step right through the Scripture and let the Scripture talk to you. But I'm hoping that as we get to the end of about six verses, that you're going to have a really clear picture about who the Holy Spirit is, what His heart is for you. I'm talking real time. Not religiously, not in the cosmic scheme of it all, but real time how the Holy Spirit really feels about you personally what he wants to do, how he wants to spend time with you, and I'm going to show you what he's willing to do in order to get that time with you and to protect it. He'll go to a, to a, a, a long length 
in order to protect you. So verse number four, we're just going to look at the, bat, the second part of that verse. So you can look at the other part. Uh, he's given a pretty harsh rebuke to his church, but I don't feel like that's appropriate here. But he says, starting in the middle of verse four, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of drill down a little bit deeper into some of these because I really want you to understand what was in Pastor James's heart when he was talking here. When he uses the term friendship, it's from the original Greek word phileo, and it's talking about a lot of different facets of, of a fondness or, or a, a, a relational connection, or a friendship, or an affection that we feel, we literally feel, and, and begins to govern the processes or the thoughts of our life. So as we're connecting with people and we feel like, yeah, we had a connection there, we'll carve out time to lean in and to develop that. We want to be around those people, we want to be around those environments because they make us feel good. And so we'll carve time out and that's how we develop these, these, these deeper things. But specifically, Pastor James here is talking about Christians who one time accepted the Lord and gave Him their whole heart and their whole life were so grateful for Him forgiving them and redeeming them that they said, I'm giving you my whole self. But over a period of time, they've allowed their affections to drift. They've allowed their affections to move in this direction or that direction. And those affections now have become, become so connected to something that on a regular basis they are prioritizing their time away from the things of God. Sometimes it's not as intentional as it sounds. And sometimes on the inside of us, if we're being really honest, we'll literally feel ourselves make that, make that decision. I know I'm supposed to be spending time with the Lord every day, but I got a lot of things going on. I just got this one thing I got to do, or, or we're going on vacation, or we have this, or we have that. And so the first thing that gets pushed off the table is that intimate connection, that time with the Lord. Listen, don't hear Bible reading. Don't hear checking off a box. Don't hear any of those religious things. I'm talking about spending intimate time with, with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about just opening yourself up. Yes, there's busy days where something happens out of the ordinary, unexpected, unforeseen, and it gets us up early in the morning and we're in the car. But how many of you know the Holy Spirit knows how to ride in the car with you? He does. He knows how to have a conversation in the car. My wife and I, we, we try to have coffee every single morning. Every morning, you know, we'll wrap our schedules around it and we'll be able to sit for just a few minutes. But there's some mornings that things take off like a lightning bolt and we have to sit in the car together. But how many of you know after 33 years of marriage, we've learned how to connect in the car? And the Holy Spirit's the same way. So I'm not talking about anything legalistic. I am talking about something that occupies so much of your thought and so much of your time, and so much of your emotion, that you no longer have time for the things of God, that it's no longer an intimate exchange, even if you're squeezing in the Bible reading, it's a checkbox, and you know it. And that's what Paul's referring to here. He's talking about these kinds of Christians that over time have drifted, and even if they're still going through the motions, the intimacy's lost. Their affection, they're doing their Bible reading, but they can't they can't wait to get to the last scripture so they can scribble a few things down so they can get to what's really passionate about and get on about their day. And he's talking about that. 
And here's what he's saying, whether you understand this at this point or not. If you're in that kind of a zone, or if you can feel yourself moving towards that zone, he says, here's what you need to understand. That's going to create enmity in your relationship with God. Now, the word enmity is another really interesting word. It's used over 450 times in the Old Testament Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And every single time it describes a hatred. It describes a hostility. It's used to describe somebody who's, who's an, an intentional adversary or an enemy. In other words, that's trying to do the opposite of what you're wanting to do. They're stopping you. They're opposing you. And the Bible is telling us here, if you've allowed your heart to drift or you can feel it going that way, you're already giving up territory to create an enemy to your own soul that will not allow you to listen to the Holy Spirit and spend time with Him while He's trying to get across to you the very things you're praying for. And He's saying, you don't understand. It's not just a matter of, yeah, I really should do that. I feel bad. No, you're giving territory up to the enemy and the Holy Spirit will not spend time with you. Now, I want to keep saying this over and over. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about you make time to check boxes. Listen, the Holy Spirit would rather you spend less time in your devotion, if, if it's intimate, than to spend the whole hour, hour and a half, whatever it takes, and check all the boxes, and you, you know, it looks nice and neat, and you've got something good written there so that you can be proud of. And listen, that, that's not the point. The point is to make an intimate connection with Him. An intimate connection. And the Holy Spirit is on this. He's saying, listen, I'm desperate. You don't understand. It's not just you're drifting a little bit. I'm not feeling it like I used to. He said, you're giving territory to an enemy who's trying to pull or seduce you away from time with the Holy Spirit. And, and he says, that's a serious, serious thing. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, okay, I get that, but what, what are you talking to me for? I'm, I'm not at enmity with God. I'm in church. You're preaching to the choir. Here we are. We're on Sunday morning. But again, it has to do with all of us. Because it's super subtle. I don't care how mature you are. I don't care how, how much the Lord's blessed you. It's so easy for us to allow this drift to happen. In fact, let me just be honest with you. This pastor, I'm not saying any of these pastors, but this pastor can even be, find enmity created while I'm doing ministry stuff. Because more than he wants to use me, he wants to just have a relationship with me. I'm not a tool. I belong to him. I'm, I'm, I'm a human. I'm a person. I'm his creation. And he loves me. And so I have to be really, really careful, maybe more so than, than some, because what I'm dealing with is the spirituals. And the spirituals, man, you have to be careful when you're handling that which is sacred often. Because otherwise you, you can be quickly deceived and you can think, well, because I'm around church, because I'm doing church things, well, that's the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. And so notice as he says, listen, he says, you, you're creating a dangerous situation. And so I want you to understand he's going to show you now what he's willing to do or what he's, how he's going to respond to pull you back. Listen, because he loves, loves, loves you. And look, this is where we're into James chapter 4, verse 5. We read it once, but we'll lean in a little bit. He says, or do you think that the scripture says in vain 
that the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously. Now those two words, yearns jealousy, is really important that we stop for just a minute and understand. Otherwise, they're not going to land as deeply as they should land. The word yearns there is, is, a, is a Greek word that implies this intense desire or this craving or this longing. In fact, I don't mean to shock you on a Sunday morning, but this particular word is translated elsewhere as lust. It's trying to get you to understand just how intense this is. And when we hear the word lust, most of the time we think about something sexual or at least something that's unhealthy, uh, you know, a, a, almost a driving or an addictive craving for something that's morally wrong or, or, or leading us off on the wrong track. And it literally is used for that. That's literally what it means. But here, it's trying to get us to understand that the Holy Spirit's desire to be at the center of your life, not religiously, but relationally, real time. He genuinely loves you more than your best friend, more than your spouse, more than your mama, more than your daddy. He loves you and he wants to be at the center of your life. And it's so all-consuming to him that he wants to be part of your life that he literally craves or he longs for, or dare I say it, he lusts after time with you. I mean, this is how he feels. And, and this, this, listen, this was so important, so shocking to me. Because growing up in church, I, I had gotten to a point where I knew the Holy Spirit, you know, wanted my attention, but I thought it was a religious thing. I thought it was a ritual thing. I thought it was a, you know, kind of making sure that I'm getting all the boxes checked and thing. And he's just there as the project manager just to oversee the maturity of my life. I didn't know it was personal. And he says, you don't have any idea just how personal it is. In fact, Pastor James wanted you to understand just how personal this was. So he didn't just say that he yearns, although he could have left it. Lust is a pretty strong word. But he said he yearns jealously. And that particular word, jealousy, is a word that's, that's used to describe a husband when a husband finds out that there's another guy that's been pursuing his wife. And as you can imagine, man, his, his heart just fills with rage. His heart, it takes it personal. His heart fills with this righteous indignation. And he's ready to do whatever it takes in order to bring that relationship back in line and to separate that, that other person that's trying to come in and steal his beloved. He'll do whatever it takes to come in and bring that back to right. In fact, I was studying the, this passage out, and one scholar uh, expanded James chapter 4, verse 5 like this. Listen to this. It says, The Holy Spirit takes it very personally when we share our lives with the world. He wants us so entirely for himself that if the world tries to take us away, it infuriates him. You need to know that in these cases, the Holy Spirit will not idly sit by and watch it happen. He'll do something to change the situation. But here's the next question, then, as the passage is unfolding, then what will he do? Because in our natural personhood, we would think, well, will he abandon us? Will he say, well, fine, if you want to chase somebody else, I ain't got time for that. Then I got other people that I put my affection on. Will, will, will he punish us somehow? Will, will he somehow make our life miserable? And listen to what the Bible says, James chapter 4, verse 6. The very next verse, it says, but he gives more grace. What kind of a lover does that? 
What kind of a, of a person? Listen, we're talking about God. We're talking about the one who holds the power and the authority to make whatever decision is necessary. And here we are. He finds out we've been cheating on the side. He finds out some, someone's flirting with us, and we're kind of liking it, and we're kind of leaning over that direction. And it enrages him. He takes it very personal, and he rushes in to align that relationship. But notice what he does. It says he gives more grace. But let's keep reading now because it's not like some of us think. It says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, let me explain that to you. Desperate to win us back, the Holy Spirit will confront you and I as believers with whatever or whomever is stealing our affection away. And this is important that we understand because this is an act of grace, even though it doesn't at first feel gracious. It says he resists the proud. In other words, the Holy Spirit, it's not the first time. He doesn't stand back and wait till you drift way out and then start talking to you about it. When he begins to see a problem, he'll start whispering to you. Let me share a couple of whispers that I've received from him over the years. Hey, Gil, listen, uh, at nighttime, I know you're tired. And I know you've been with people all day. And I know you've been studying and doing stuff. Uh, but you're watching a lot of TV. And it's filling your mind up with stuff. And it's causing you to stay up later than you should. I mean, you're trying, just trying to keep your eyes open because you want to see the end of that particular movie. Or you want to watch one more segment. You know, you're binge watching here. And I get that you're tired. But listen, it's so important that you hear what I'm saying. I need you to back that off a little bit. Hey, Gil, listen, you're paying a lot of attention to what's going on on social media, and it's starting to interfere with you being able to hear from me because you're worried about likes or no likes, and you're worried about people that are commenting in not so positive of a way. I need you to back that off a little bit. And he began to tell me those things, but of course, I'm a smart guy. I'm anointed guy. I said, appreciate that, and I'll just watch it and control it, and I didn't. And the Holy Spirit had to come back and talk to me again. And then he talked to me again. And then he talked to me again. And then I began to realize he's resisting me. It's like he's stopping me in my tracks and saying, listen, I'm not going to walk another step with you unless you'll talk to me about this. Why? Because I was proud. Because in my pride, it's like I was acting like he don't know what he's talking about. Well, that's his opinion. And listen, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I understand. But I got this. I got this. I didn't have it. And so the Bible says that God will resist the proud. The Holy Spirit will say, listen to me, I'm not going to go another step until you, talk, you, you address this. This is really, really serious. But notice this. It says he gives grace to the humble. When God first begins to resist you, that's an act of grace, but it doesn't feel gracious. Because he's confronting you. By the way, tough love never does. Tough love always hurts at first or feels a little bit abrasive at first. But when you step back, you realize that it's because God really loves you. But I want you to notice this. If that wandering believer, in this case it was me, as they soften their heart, as they yield to the Holy Spirit, you're right. You're right. You got me. I don't know how to fix that, by the way, because I'm exhausted at night. So I'm not sure what, how you want me to do that. Well, that's another conversation I'll help you with. But notice this. As you yield to him, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is quick to offer more pleasant 
a more restorative grace. And you're going to see that in the next three verses. This is going to be super quick. I'm just going to walk you through and point them out. Here's what you're going to see. He's going to say, here's what I want you to do. And they're super simple. Everybody can do them. Here's what I want you to do, and as you do that, here's what I'm going to do. And he's going to take you step one, two, three, about how to completely align your life back up so you can begin to hear the Holy Spirit, and he's right back on, on, in, in, your, in your life again, and you can begin to sense and know that he's walking with you. Listen to this. James chapter 4, verse 7. We're just keeping reading down. It says, therefore, submit to God. Well, that's your part. How do I do that? Oh, come on. We know how to do that. Because all of us know, even though we don't always like to admit it, we know when the Holy Spirit's talking to us. And all we have to do is say, oh, okay, all right, you're right, I'm wrong, you're right, you're smarter than me, you're, you're, you're richer than me, you're wiser than me, you got more experience than me, you got more power than me, you got more insight than me, you're right, I'm not right, I'm wrong, and you just, you just relent, you just submit to God, but I want you to notice, once you do, the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't want you to miss it, so here's a real practical promise that the Holy Spirit's given, if you'll submit to God, the Holy Spirit will cause the enemy who tried to seduce you to flee from you. That thing that you think you can't give up because it's so fun or it's so enjoyable or you work so hard to get it and the Holy Spirit's listen, listen, the moment you submit to God, a new grace comes and the, and the Holy Spirit separates you two and all of a sudden the very thing that was making it hard for you to press in and get deeper and have more of a close relationship with God, that thing will all of a sudden just disappear and you'll find a new level of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's personal. It's personal. In fact, don't, don't turn there, but write down 2, Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and will guard you from the evil one. That's personal. This is personal. He's protecting you. He's watching over the one that he loves. He doesn't want anybody to come in and ruin that relationship. Let's keep going. We're in James chapter 4, verse 8 now. Here's the second thing we do. We draw near to God. So the first thing we do, we submit, and the next thing we do, we turn around and we draw near to God and look at the next one, and He will draw near to you. Here's that second promise. Listen, not only will the Holy Spirit forgive you, but He will move towards you. Now that's really important for a lot of Christians to know, because somehow we got this idea that we have to get our act together and keep our act together for a while before the Holy Spirit really comes back. Because he wants to see if, we, you know, are you for real? Because you've said this a bunch of times before. Will you really do it right this time? And so we kind of just think we're on probation a little bit. And if we can outlast the probation period, then the Holy Spirit will come back. Listen to me. There's no probation period with the Lord. There's no probation period with your relationship with the Lord. The Bible says the moment you turn and come back, that he will draw nigh to you. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and 2 says, Listen, when you accept Jesus, there is no condemnation. He's not going to keep bringing that up. He's not going to say, well, you know, this is the third time we had to talk about this. And he's just so happy that you're back. And the Bible says he's going to move close to you. He's going to draw close to you. And that brings us to the third one. Listen to this. We're uh, going to finish verse 8 and go on to verse 10 now. He says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. In other words, whatever you're doing on the outside that was wrong, stop doing that. 
whatever's going on on the inside, yeah, just, just change. Just renew your mind to the Word of God and cut it off on the inside. Verse 9, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That just means go ahead and, and, and recognize the seriousness of drifting away. You won't have to manufacture that. It's not like you have to put on you know, ice castles and work up a good cry or something. He's not looking for that. What he's looking for is that as it begins to sober and it begins to set into your heart, how could I have ever walked away? How could I have done this to the one that loved me and has given so much to me? As that begins to dawn on you, he said, listen, let that soak in and let, let that cry to the Lord just wash you from the inside to the outside. He's, he's sitting right there with you in that. But notice that the last verse here. He says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's the last thing. It's humbling yourself. Humbling yourself. Recognizing that this is really important. He's the number one. Not because he's ego-driven. Not because he demands praise. Because he loves you. He's got so much that he, he wants to pour his generosity out. He wants to redeem you and restore not just inside, not just eternally, but he wants to restore things that are going on on the outside. I was talking to a guy in our church the other day, and he was talking some financial stuff, and I said, well, you do understand about the grace of the Lord Jesus, right? Well, what do you mean? Well, you understand the grace of Jesus, right? Well, you mean like forgiveness of sin? No, yeah, that too, but, but you understand that his grace continues to ripple, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's asking that question. He says, you do understand about the grace of the Lord Jesus that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you can become rich. And the guy said, yeah, that's spiritually. <laughs> well, it starts spiritually, but read this whole passage of the Bible. It's talking about your bank account. God doesn't want you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be hurting. He doesn't want you to be in poverty. He doesn't want you to be in debt. God wants to do wonderful things, but relationship is first. And so, listen, here, here's the third one. If you'll humble yourself, the Holy Spirit will, will restore you with salvation's blessing. With salvation's blessing. Now, for some of you, this is the last thing I'm going to say. We're going to read one more quick passage. Salvation's blessing could get lost on you. You could think that sounds like a real Christian term, especially if you don't, you know, haven't learned some things about the whole salvation package. You think it's just forgiveness of sin and eternal life, but you don't recognize that was just the first introductory part of your package. You've got a giant package of benefits that are only good here. You're not going to need them once we get to heaven. They're obsolete. But down here, you've got this giant benefit of salvation that the Holy Spirit wants you to experience every single part of this. Nothing left out. Jesus paid an expensive price to buy you the deluxe package. And you've got it all laid out right here in front of you. And the Holy Spirit said, and that's what I'm here for. It is to come and get real close to you. Just to coach you and mentor you through every little step so you could experience this whole package. And I just want to read you the package this morning. We're going to go back to its original unfolding in Isaiah chapter 61. This is a prophetic package, uh, a passage about what the Holy Spirit would do when he came in his fullness through Jesus and then afterwards to us as New Testament Christians. But here's what I want you to catch, all right? In my reading at least, there's 14 different benefits that, that are just going to roll out to you in the scripture. 
14 different areas. And here's what I can promise you. They cover every single area of the human experience. Not just spiritually, but, but, but in your natural physical personhood, in your mental state, in your emotions, in your relationships, in your finances, in your future, your career, the fulfillment. There's not one area that's left out. It covers the whole gamut because God doesn't just want you to get to heaven. He wants you to experience heaven right here on earth and then it just upgrades when you get there. And so Isaiah 61, so here's what I want you to do as we close, all right? I, I just want, I'm just going to read through. I'm not going to preach on it, although I would love to, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to read it through, but I'm going to read it, you know, not quickly because I want you to listen, and when one of these things hits your spirit on the inside, or you hear one of these things and you think, oh, I need that one right there, I, I just want you to say, okay, Holy Spirit, then come do that. Yes. Come do that for me because he's concerned about that. And that's what he wants to do. Here it is. Listen, Isaiah chapter 61, starting in verse 1, going through verse 3. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I think that's the first one. Just the fact that he would come. Just the fact that he would be my friend. He would spend time with me every day. And he, he's looking forward. He's waiting for me when I wake up. He goes on and says, because the Lord has anointed me. That's the second one. Every single one of us carry with us an anointing an empowerment, a gifting from the Lord. And if we'll learn to let the Holy Spirit be part of our life and we'll learn to begin to walk and live out the anointing or the gifting or the empowerment God has, then the rest of these are almost byproducts. They almost just start unfolding in our life before we even know it. And so I won't elaborate anymore. The rest will speak for themselves. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Not just, find, not, not just spiritually poor, all the way through our life, any area we have lack or we have poverty. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Live in a pretty tough world. Get beat up, get bruised. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Anybody who's got mindsets, anybody who's wrestling with past abuse and insecurity or fear or anything from that. He goes on and says, uh, to open prison doors to those who are bound. Any addictions. That's not a problem for the Holy Spirit. That's just not. He can snap those off of you. I mean, in a moment, you can step right out of that and just be absolutely free. He goes on to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. If we had time to teach, I would tell you, this is the Lord's favorite. And it's like he's leaning in and saying, tell me what you want me to do. Come on, anything. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He's leaning forward with a smile on his face. And listen to this, the day of vengeance of our God. Some of us have been wronged, and you're saying, God, where's the justice? And he said, I got you. I got you. That won't, that won't go unanswered. I got you. Goes on and says, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. So there's some things that we're mourning about that, that are things that have happened in our natural life, and there's some things that we're mourning about because we're praying and we're working through some things, whether it's a spiritual thing or a natural thing. If we're grieving somewhere in our heart, the Holy Spirit's right there to comfort you. That's part of His assignment. Notice this, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. No more depression, no more discouragement. No, no more feeling like, you know, everybody else somehow is connected. They got the hookup, but we don't. We're left. No, no, no second best in the kingdom. No second best in the kingdom. That they may be called the trees of righteousness, strong 
and straight and growing upward and outward. Notice this, the planting of the Lord. In other words, God puts you right where he wants you to be. You're not just out in some field somewhere. God puts you in the perfect place in his garden so you could be everything that he called you to be. And people could see how beautiful your life is. And all of that is so that he may be glorified. And listen, if, if we were just to translate all that into natural life and somehow just kind of wipe all the religiosity out of, out of it so you could really hear what it was like, how many of you would agree, that'd be wonderful? I mean, I would love to have a friend like that. I would love to have someone to say, listen, I got you. I got you. I know what all those, those deep cries of your heart is. I'm going to make those happen for you. I got you. How many of you would love a friend like that? Listen, that's the Holy Spirit. He is not mad at you. He's so jealous, though. He loves you so much. He wants, wants you to just, just open your life up and say, well, come on in then and introduce yourself. I promise you he's so gentle. I promise you he's so respectful. But I promise you he's so generous. He's so loving. He's so healing that he wants to come in. Listen, I, I want to pray for you right now. And then Pastor David is going to come up. But if you're here this morning in any of those areas or anything else that, that you're, you're thinking of, if any of it pops up as I'm praying for you, then you just whisper to the Holy Spirit because he loves you. He's whispering to you. Come on in, Holy Spirit. Come help me with that. Show me what I don't know. Show me what I can't possibly understand on my own, but, but give me that. And let the Holy Spirit begin, begin to do that. For some of you, it might be accepting Jesus for the first time. For others, it might be accepting him again for the first time in a long time. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's here this morning, and he, he wants you to run to him so that he can lean in and begin to, to love and bless your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming and providing and paying for salvation so we could experience everything that you've provided for us. And Holy Spirit, thank you for coming and loving us so much. Thank you for not giving up on us, for at times, even when we don't understand, for pressing in and resisting us. And that's not real comfortable. And sometimes we, we don't know whether, whether you means you're, you're pushing us away, but you're not. So Holy Spirit, right now, convince us and pull us back towards you. Open your grace and open your love and help us to understand that you're waiting passionately. You're yearning. You're yearning for us to recommit ourselves to you. And you'll walk us every step. You'll walk us right into our destiny. Thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.